So I have a question. What is your favorite follow on threads? Who's the person or brand that you are loving the most on threads? Oh, can I be honest? Yeah. I don't have one. Um, you are correct. Yeah. I, well, I think you're, Jackie, do you have anyone that comes to mind? You know, I got really excited the first two days. I was like, ooh, this is going to be dangerous for me. About to be up for three hours for the next three months. Like, this will be fun. And the excitement really wore away for me. And I was like, wow, it doesn't seem any different than I just like it didn't offer me anything additional that I was looking for. So I probably haven't logged in in five days and it's only seven yeah. days old. Yeah, you know what my it's... biggest problem is with it? I'm seeing things I don't care about. So like mm -hmm. I follow, mm. I'm a big Orioles fan. I talked about it on last time, the last podcast. I was so excited when the Orioles joined. I made like one thread about Orioles are here. I guess I'll stay. But then they started showing me all MLB and all different um, MLB mm. teams that I just didn't care about. And then they started showing me basketball. And I Well, here's the like thing. Basketball. Almost everything that Meta has tried to do has not gone well over the last couple of years because of the stink of the of the brand and the personality and all the mm -hmm. all just the muck that's been connected to that company so yeah you know when they came out with video devices you're like i'm not putting i'm not giving meta any more acts like we're still kind of ptsd are reacting from the candy crush like to me that app and do you remember when every family member was asking you for like free life? I don't even know. I was just like, this is addictive. This is the depression of what social media, like that's not the future I was promised was, you know, some long lost cousin asking me for an extra heart to go to the next level of some <laughs> stupid video game. Yeah. Um, so I, may, I, I, I wonder if they were just thinking like, there's not going to be a lot of people here. And we're, so we're going to by default, pull in all this other content um either that or my other my other thought is that they are trying to somehow go after like a TikTok for words mm. and images mm -hmm. where they're like because you know, i still i get the sense that there is a heavy weighting of how the TikTok or al algorithm works with threads but i agree with you like i i could tell you uh, i'm not going to but i could tell you like the people that I love to engage with on Twitter or love to follow because it's a unique personality with a unique voice or it's someone that there's no way I would ever get a chance to interact with in real life, but have access to through the platform. Mm -hmm. There's lots of bad things about Twitter and it's not a great UI at times. And, but it threads is not Twitter at all. And yeah. I think that question, I don't think most people could answer that. And I think it's also been hilarious to watch people, flail about of like mm -hmm. trying to figure out how do I become one of the cool kids here? Yeah. What is the, what's the content? What's the purpose? Um, <laughs> I was actually going to jokingly put out there as yeah. a thread, like, why haven't I gone viral yet? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, isn't, <laughs> it's one of the first ones, like, isn't this how it works? Like, come on. I, it does seem like the doom scrolling effect is just like people crave this thing that they just keep hitting refresh mm -hmm. on and mm -hmm. see new stuff. And so maybe the dopamine drip of new things is part of what was exciting about it. But yeah, I, I also heard someone, I can't remember because I listened to so many things um, where I heard this, but you know, Meta has one of the best AI platforms 
there is, period, mm -hmm. in a story. That's how the content has been delivered and matched and ads are matched to the right users. And they've got a great, but one of the challenges of their existing platforms that are highly used by um, well-to-do Westerners is that it's all photos and videos. Mm -hmm. And so the ability for AI to know exactly the context, think about how difficult it would be for an AI system to understand a new meme that comes out. Mm -hmm. Just like if there isn't a lot of context or terms. So part of the theory is that one of the reasons threads is a big push is that with large language models um, and, and just where AI is right now, that meta itself needs more text from its users to be able to analyze kind of what's going on and what they care about. And it's, it's been, it's been, it has been fun to watch it happen, but. I think one of the things about Twitter is that it provided a place for people to have a secret personality in a way where like they could be a different version of themselves, somewhat unhinged um, in short spurts <laughs> of time. And while that brought in a lot of negative negativity, obviously, and maybe perhaps like the worst parts of ourselves. For me personally, like I'm hidden on Twitter. Everything is private on Twitter because it, it's like my place where I can like do my mm -hmm. my secret obsessions over like Marvel and like <laughs> and like follow my the releases of like secrets of Spider-Man and like things like that where I, like no one has to judge me. I can do it on my own and I can follow all this stuff on my own. Um, whereas like threads, you're a little bit more exposed. And so I think people were hopeful that maybe they could be this alternate version of themselves exposed to the people they're already interacting with on Instagram. Um, but then it didn't kind of come into fruition that way. Instead, you were just kind of boxed in by the people you're already interacting with on Instagram. Yeah. I, brands just aren't good at conversation generally and in home building mm -hmm. specifically. Which is why, you know, Twitter just became a place for people to complain uh, or try to get customer service from their builder. And, it, and that's like, everyone's like, what do we use threads for? Like, well, it's, I mean, it's in theory about conversation and most uh, home building cultures, unfortunately, are like, no, the customer must stay over here and yeah. let us, you know, it's not as inviting to the conversation as, as some industries are. I still stand by that the only brand that's ever done Twitter right is Wendy's. <laughs> One of yeah. the few. One oh, of the yeah. few. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 291. I'm Kevin Oakley and with me today is Beth Russell and Jackie Lipinski. Hello. Hi. So uh, story time. Let's get it going. We've got a jam-packed show yeah, with, with so many great conversations. We already covered threads. Hmm. I'm not excited yet, but I mean, I'm glad that they're trying. And if anything, competition between the two platforms, I think will help both platforms improve. But moving on to, to more fun things. Jackie, take us away with story. Oh, well, yeah. Thanks, Kevin. So this will be my last uh, podcast for a while. Oh, yes. 
Tell them why again, if you're not paying attention. If you're not, yeah, if you're not paying attention, heavily pregnant. <laughs> Having a kid at any moment. So uh, yeah, going, going on maternity leave here shortly. Um, that does not mean I will not creep in the shadows of the home building industry and stay connected. So I will, that is a problem I have. I will still be kind of in it two in the morning now, but I will, I will be watching and monitoring things. Um, but one of the things for my story time, I wanted to talk around is, you know, every year I set goals for myself there's miscellaneous things I like to do. And this year I was like, Hey, I wasn't proud of myself and how many books I read last year. So I want to read 20 books this year. And then finding out I'm having a kid, I'm like, okay, I want to read 20 books this year. That means if my kid's coming in July, I have until July to read books. Uh, so, uh, based off of someone's recommendation, I started reading leading with the heart by coach K, which was Duke's basketball. Um, someone, excuse me. It was my husband. It was, well, it was your, but it was also the bear. They kept, oh yeah. they kept referencing this book and I'm like, Oh, I have to go get this book. And then I mentioned it to you and someone else. No. And you were like, yeah, that's my husband's favorite book. I was like, there okay. is a show on Hulu. Uh, There's a show two. on Hulu season two. Definitely recommend it. They keep talking about this book. And I was like, okay, well, this is annoying. Cause I have to go get this now. Like I can't be <laughs> like, I need to understand the sub context of what they're building and what they're trying to build in this show. Cause I am, I'm, I'm a super fan of that show. Um, but one of the quotes was what, um, from coach K is whatever a leader does now sets up what he does later. And there is always a later. And that kind of reminds me of how we're talking to builders now, sort of as July hits, we go Q3, Q4. What's like, let's talk about the plan. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the timeline. Let's talk about how we're, how we're going to accomplish these goals. Because like he's saying, there will always be a later and we will always need to be prepared for these moments in time. And what we anticipate, and we don't need to create like disaster relief plans for everything that might occur, but we do need to consider what could occur based on what we know is going to happen. And so one of the things I would just say, thinking about Q3 and Q4 is, you know, prepare and plan, understand how to explain with data, um, understand problem solving with your own data, um, and then taking an advantage of any time you have to fill your knowledge gaps um, so that there's no, there, there's no panic mode button. And that's why I think the, the theme of the week with my builders has been is, okay, let's talk about the next six months. How many specs do you have? What's our budget? How are we going to prioritize that? And then what's the, the wave of specs coming online and how can we um, create game plans around it? So I would, I would highly re- uh, recommend that book though. I joke today, I'm in the Coach K cult. Cause I, I was like, oh, I get it. I get why people love this book. So, um, it's, it's really good for any leadership kind of trying to think of a style as a basketball coach, but also zoomed out more. Have you read that Kevin? I have not read it. I did ah, read another, okay. I've read biographies of coach K. I have not read, I've not read the, this one. Though, but the story behind like the power of coach K and his leadership and why this book is so mm-hmm. inspirational is because of the fact that he had a legacy with Duke, a winning legacy with Duke, as much as it pains me to say, being from the University of Maryland while we were in the ACC with them. But he had to regenerate his process year after year after year because he had a new team every year because they were always leaving and entering the draft. Mm -hmm. And so he had to create this winning atmosphere and this strong team atmosphere and environment um, year after year after year quickly. 
And I just think that's really interesting and powerful. And what you said, Jackie, um, really hits nail on the coffin, but also reminds people that they have to be able to prioritize because what I'm seeing a lot across the board is the inability to do so. Like there's things are starting to like slow down a little bit. Everyone's worried about Q3, Q4, and people are like running around with their head cut off and not knowing what to do with their hands. And like yeah. you got to like stop yeah. and prioritize because if you don't, that's when you're really going to run into issues for sure. Yeah. My, my favorite analogy of the week has been, um, it, it was a, it was a little phrase a builder said, and I was like, Ooh, I love this. And she kept referencing like, yeah, I'm building up a team of champions. And I was like, so I kept imagining these gladiators that you have to be like, I need these champions mm-hmm. fighting for me in these divisions who will, you know, build up, like uh, help alleviate the stress of, okay, if this is going to happen, you know, they're going to take on the training of the CRM. They're going to take on the training of this. And you, you can't, you can't fight all of the battles and you can't be your, your own champion. You need to have people on your team who are, um, who are bought into it. And that's what coach K mm-hmm. is also talking about and just building. And he's like, the older students become the younger students, um, mentors, and they, everyone has to rely on each other. Um, because at the end of the day with home building or basketball team, I mean, you're a team, you're all have working towards the same goal of, let's sell these houses. And there should never be a, um, he talks about there should never be jealousy on a team and there should only be camaraderie and lifting each other up. And that's what, um, a really good leader should strive for. So another good book for champions and that Mm. like circle of trust, this Kevin's heard me reference this one, the starfish and the spider. It talks about organizations like, um, AA, how they don't have a leader. uh, It's a, it's a circle, like it's a process and they're all aiming for the same goal and they all hold each other accountable Mm -hmm. and, and organizations that have a mixture between structure and this circle mentality, um, striving towards the goals instead of making someone happy, like instead of a leader and making a leader happy, that sort of thing, um, operate at the highest productivity with, and there's all these case studies. It's really a fascinating book. Honestly, yeah, recommend that it. is a good one. I have read that one. I, I think a lot of times people feel overwhelmed and they don't know what to do and, and mm. they're so busy that they don't have time to, well, they, they always have time. That's first fallacy. Number one is they don't have the time, but I, I just when in doubt, make a list. Mm-hmm. It gets things out of your brain. It puts it on paper or on a screen or, or wherever it needs to be, but you can't, so many people try to prioritize the wrong way too. And if you don't get everything out, you can't prioritize. And the other thing that I think people, it's such an easy out and it's not, it's not even an out. It's the, one of the things that you need to do is let the person you report to or work for help you with that prioritization. Yeah. You know, that there's countless times where I would go into the person that I, that I worked for and would say, Okay, here, here's the list. Here's the stuff that I just know intuitively can be deprioritized or adjusted. But there's still six things on this list and the resources only really exist for three from my perspective, being open to that being wrong too. Mm-hmm. And usually, they, I mean, they don't even hesitate. They're like, oh yeah, it's that one. And you're like, okay. There might be other voices in the organization that would disagree on the thing that was chosen, but that's the person that you work for or that's the company owner or division president, whoever, 
like that clarity is extremely helpful and you don't have to do it all on your own uh, either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also just think like this idea of um, there's always a later also just makes me think about time travel generally and like humans can time travel. That's kind of one of the fun things about us is unlike other creatures on this planet, we can go back in time and we can go forward in time with our brains, just how like we, we can envision the future in, in a way that, that no other creature can. And so part of that, what you're saying too, Jackie is like mm-hmm. Q3 and Q4 always happen. And so that's why, you know, your first year you get a pass of being surprised that there's less leads and less activity. But after that, if you're still surprised, like it's your fault, you yeah. should know what's coming and be, be over prepared for the upside might happen in some years where uh, Q3 or Q4 does uh, help you out and is stronger than expected, but that's not really how you plan. And so like, I'm, I'm continually surprised by the, the amount of things that people struggle with like cyclically. Mm-hmm. You're, you're kind of like, huh. And again, I think it's because people are running so fast that they, they, they often don't do a postmortem either of like, that was tough. I wasn't expecting that. Why wasn't I expecting that? Mm-hmm. How can I be better prepared? Mm-hmm. What can I use as a template to help me think through this better next time? Yeah. Take that time for reflection. I mean, one of the simple things we did this week was someone's like, I don't know if my budgets are going to, um, you know, and how many homes available makes sense. I was like, well, what's your cost per sale right now? And they're like, Hmm, I'm like, yeah, let's just do some homework. Let's just predict in the future. So, um, so having, having that time, just breathe, do some math also, and, um, and feel confident and not just, you're right. Like you, you can't go into it blind every year. You have to have consistent steps that you're doing to help think about the future. Yep. Beth. Mm, Home update. Going? As a reminder, you know, we require all employees to go through the process of building a <laughs> home at some point in time so that they can share their experiences on the podcast with all of you. How's it going? It's going. There's a lot of progress being made. Um, we have a driveway. We have mm. cabinets going in. Rim is in. Um, there's there's things happening. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. My husband is there in Georgia now. So he's been sneaking over to the house. And it's so cute because he's been like, he is in the mindset of like, we'll just do what you want. Like, build the home you want. Like, I'm I don't care. I'll live in a four by four box if you want me to. I'm good. And so but now that he's there and he's visited and he's met with our builder, he's addicted. And so he keeps going over and checking on it. And he wanted to, he couldn't help himself. He had to go see some of the cabinets being put in and things like that. Um, so it's been really exciting, but it's, it's also been a reminder because, you know, as we progress, I'm getting really excited, but the nerves are hitting higher and higher because it's a matter of like, okay, well, what is the total price going to be? You know, like, cause of the type of build that we are doing, what is the total price going to be? What are the mortgage rates going to look like? Is this still going to be feasible in a, in a matter of like, am I comfortable with that amount? Are we going to feel comfortable with this purchase when all is said and done? So we're still living in that world of uneasiness and I am stalking all of the listings in the area and all of the listings in the neighborhood popping up and going for sale and like comparing, you know. Wait, 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 price. wait. Are, are you saying you're still like 
house shopping, but not, Um, but not because like we are, we love our house, but I'm more so looking at it as a comp perspective. I'm, I'm like, this house popped up the market. How much is it per square foot? A comp perspective and an exit plan is like the military planning mindset of like, (laughs) just in case. We have a plan D, a plan D, plan B, but no, (laughs) it's, it's more like, I am, I want this house. I love this house, especially the lot that we're on and everything. Um, and I've put my heart and soul into this house, but I do want to be prepared one and two, I want to ensure like, we know this isn't, we're not going to be there forever. It has to be a good investment for us. So I have to remain smart, but like you have, as a builder, you have to remain on the pulse of your buyer, check in with them, see how they're doing with the process and like, um, communicate with them because they might be doing things. (laughs) You don't have to communicate. Why? I mean, why? You're saying that like you have to, but t- tell me why. I don't believe you. I'm I'm anonymous builder X here who's like, we don't, we just build them and they move in. They build them and, and they move hopefully in. they don't submit warranty requests. <laughs> well, it's, you know, there's so many different ways to answer this question from our personal process, which we can yeah. dive into a little bit, but like, not only am I looking at these homes and thinking, oh, this house across the street just went up for sale. It does have the amount of bedrooms we were looking for. It's the size we're looking for. Mm-hmm. It's also $20 per square foot less than we're anticipating paying for this house. Why is that? I mean, it doesn't have the colors I want. It doesn't have the size kitchen I want. So it doesn't like it's not checking all the boxes, but it's checking a lot of them. So if I weren't who I am, perhaps I would jump ship and go over to that house now that it's available because there hasn't been a house like that available on the market at all. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. keeping them engaged. Um, also, there's been parts of the process. I love our builder. He is wonderful. He's one of the nicest human beings in the world. And I would do this with them over and over again. Is this but, a bless your heart thing coming on here? Yes. Um, <laughs> but there's been, there's been parts where it's like, oh, I wish I would have known that. Or like, Hey, remember we said this? And part of it is just that they're overwhelmed. They have a lot of projects more so than normal going on right now. And I have more sympathy or empathy rather for that than maybe other people perhaps would. And so, you know, just remembering who your buyer is, what's important to them, what they're going through. If you want to keep that, that sale and you want to get that good review in the end, because if I weren't me, maybe I would go on a rampage on Google, that's been a hot topic lately, going on Google afterwards and being like, their communication was awful. They put the trim in that I didn't want without telling me. I had to get them to replace the doors. The driveway was too wide for my liking. Like I could sit there and complain, but because that stuff isn't that important to us and we understand, we're just, it's not, you know, we can move on. Yeah, but but you're not normal. No, I'm not. So you've been so through this many process ways. a few times. You've worked for a home builder. And I think that's always... You know, people buy the end result. They don't buy the process, even when they think they are like, you know, mm-hmm. we were those people. We made a, Melanie and I made a, uh, like an actual send pictures to Walmart or wherever scrapbook of our first house, you know, the stickers and the special borders and all that mm. like stuff. But then you're in it and you're like, Ooh, but it, it's, it's almost like, you know, when you, I don't know if we want to go here, but like when you have a baby, when, when, I was actually thinking when the that. baby first comes out, you're like, ah, I mean, not when they give it to the mom, but like when it first comes out, you're like, that's a lot of 
blood and what like it's not i didn't like i i just remember i think my first I, I think this is on tape actually i was just like whoa you know like that was that was my first sound and so like you don't should you proactively say hey this is gonna be um a journey and an experience yes Can, mm-hmm. when when you do that and the amount you do that is a really delicate thing mm-hmm. because you don't everyone knows it's going to be tough. There's going to be challenges and you can have good attitude addendums. Like uh, we're big fans of that Elena money put in place at Garmin and say, we're going to all have a good attitude about problem. But whenever the problem does happen, mm-hmm. it's almost like every bad relationship or every bad customer experience you've ever had is on that shoulder with the devil in your ear. Like yeah. they're going to screw you this time. Nope. Yeah. This time they're going to screw you. And then you've got the second most emotive word in the English language of is home after mom. And so like other than your mom, you know, smacking you upside the head, the worst thing that could happen is someone does something to your home mm-hmm. that you made selections on and are putting all of your finances into. I will so recommend it's, it's, it's hard. how we're going about the process, which is kind of interesting, is that like the first half of the process, like finding the home, doing the selections, making the changes to the floor plan, picking things out, like I really took on that process. And now that my husband is there and he's able to communicate with the builder in person and he's there pointing out the things that maybe aren't quite right, because he wasn't part of the other part of the process as heavily, he's much nicer about it. He's like, hey, you know, and he's approaching it a lot more gingerly and it's making the conversation a lot more positive. Um, so I love that we've had that little bit of good cop, bad cop balance because now I don't have to have that conversation. And if I would, it would probably not be as nice because my patience has weared a little bit thinner, but his is still like really up there. So um, that has been, but yeah, that's, that was the other thing I was like, Part, part of the fun is going to see it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And also your ability or the likelihood that you will be unhappy about things that when you go back to becoming a rational human being two years from now, you'll be like, why? You know, like right now we're, we're looking at finishing our, our, the unfinished part of our basement. And um, the opening from the part that's already finished, there's currently just a, like a four foot door that opens up to the unfinished part of the basement. And the plan is to open it up to 18 feet, 18 foot wide opening, mm-hmm. cased opening. And Melanie's like, I just, I mean, she spent hours staring at it, looking at it, remeasuring. And she's like, I just don't think it's big enough, Kevin. I'm like, what are you talking? 18 is the, that's really big. And I took her to all the other openings around our house. I'm like, how big do you think the opening is here from the kitchen to the living room? Oh, I'm like, it's shorter. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, but it's just, I don't know. And so I promise when it's done, she'll be like, I don't know why I spent so much time, but like, mm-hmm. you just feel this need to do that, like to mm-hmm. make a good decision to not mess up. To- yeah. And in this process, there's a lot of that pressure is on us because of the type of build that it is. You know, like a, a lot of the ownership of the choices and, and making sure things are on time are on us. So it, it feels yeah. a little, I feel more pressure than I have in previous purchases for sure. And that's why I know some builders that we, we partner with have um, like concierge positions or liaison positions. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
it's a psychological thing to me of one of my, since I was four, like I was the, I was the annoying little kid who wouldn't apologize to their parents when they said, say, sorry. Cause with all my being, I was like, but you just told me to. So if I say it right now, it's not genuine. Like I can't say, sorry. If it's all a lie, if I say sorry right now, I clearly don't mean it. You just told me I'm in trouble. You gave me a spank or whatever. And now you want me to say, sorry. I'm like, that doesn't seem correct. So there's a big part of me that, that just doesn't like this thought, but part of being like a good design studio employee or uh, employee of the company is reinforcing decisions that have already been made. Mm -hmm. And that can feel disingenuine and you could be like, oh, but I wouldn't do that with my kitchen, but they're doing it for their own reasons. And as long as they're not doing something that you know, like, 90% of the time is going to be a really bad idea. Like the number of times that people have mentioned something else to Melanie, I'm like, well, have you considered X? I'm like, oh, you don't, you think you just helped her. You did yes. not help her. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like that with Melanie. Like, don't, I need to, I should have had dialed down choices. Like the it's trim. like baby names, right? Yeah. So the, my, my issue, like not issue, but one of the things we ran into is that the trim that was put in wasn't the trim that I like. And I really wanted more of like the craftsman style trim, just like clean, classic, looks a little bit more homemade, that type of thing. And it just ended up not being in the budget for the home. It's more expensive than the, the regular trim. So they put in the regular trim. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, because I had a different expectation in my head. And I'm like, okay, am I going to be able to stare at this trim for three yeah. years or, or more? And, yeah. and just think every day, oh, I wish it was the other trim, you know? I would say, again, um, people come over to our house a lot. We love having people over, friends of the kids, everyone. And they always will make a comment, of course, because the home is new. Mm -hmm. And every time it happens, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, it is nice. Yeah. But you don't walk around in your home constantly saying, like you do for a while, but eventually mm -hmm. you're like that trim just fades into the background and the mm -hmm. life that's happening in the home does become mm -hmm. more important than, you know, the, I can, I'm staring at it right now. There's, there's two uh, nail pops in the trim that mm -hmm. like really annoyed me and they need to get fixed, but I, it doesn't prevent. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, that's a good reminder. I remember coming to your house and you guys asking about the pendant size, the scale. Like you were worried about this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's, it's beautiful. Like I was like, this is something I could only dream of, but it, and it's that same concept of like you, when you see something every day, you start nitpicking, you're noticing and forgetting at times, like, man, I think we're we need an actual just um, psychiatrist, psychologist, whoever the person is to come on and just talk about the reinforcement of decisions or mm. like making, making people, it, it's not even a, this is not, I'm not talking about in the process of selling the home. I'm talking about once the home is sold, how to make people feel confident in decisions that have already been made. I'll be the guinea pig. We can have a live therapy session. I might scare people away. <laughs> my story time is about uh, realtors gone wild, maybe. So um, a builder reached out to me and said, hey, we have uh, real estate agents who are taking it upon themselves to build entire websites that use our brand, use our logo, use our colors, use similar layouts and are like overtly 
trying to make the customer, potential customer, think that they are the home building organization. At the very least, like highly connected inside partner of the organization. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's been around for a long time, but this particular example was like, wow. I mean, I passed it around internally here and everyone on the team was like, don't think I've seen anything quite that, that brazen. Yeah. They're even running ads to send people to these websites where they're overpaying uh, the builder themselves for branded terms, like the actual community name, the builder name, uh, in, in hopes of getting those leads. Now, the the thing to think through there is this person who asked the question this is this is something they've inherited and they're just kind of like is this is this so what do you think about this you know what what do you, what do you, what's your what's your perspective and so that it's a place they find themselves not decisions they already made but first first of all when i just say that what comes to your your mind and then i'll kind of tell you different perspectives that i've come to I know the question is, you know, I would have, we didn't have in-house agents. And so some agents would be very passionate about wanting to seem proactive for getting leads and showing that, Hey, even though management, you know, it's, if it's a 30, 30, 30, like 30% of leads come from walk-in 30% of leads come from the company and I'm generating 30% of leads. That's Mm -hmm. their justification. But there's also, you're right. That like gray legality of Mm-hmm. It, it is, it is, you are just exactly copying and almost devaluing yourself and, and discrediting, um, the builder in certain ways of, if the information you're creating a, almost a, a weird, confusing experience for a lot of users and visitors. And I, I, I feel like overall it's a disservice, although I appreciate the passion. It's, it's like, we, yeah. we have to stay within a certain box. And, um, and that example you did show Kevin, it was for everyone not who obviously didn't say it. it was, it's just scary copy paste of the builder's website. And it was, um, like horrifyingly, um, duplicated. To yeah. I think, I mean, on, on the one side you, you, you could say, well, what's the big deal because the majority of this builder sales already come through real estate agents. So in terms of extra expense, you know, it's it's likely already going to have a, a real estate agent on the transaction, and so they're just. I mean, part my, like one of my initial thoughts was, man, like someone else is willing to spend that much money mm-hmm. to sell your product. But then I then I caught myself because that's what a lot of people will tell themselves. I'm like, there's actually no guarantee that they're going to end up selling the home yep. in that builder's neighborhood, and in fact. Uh, you know, a lot of the times when we work with organizations, because we we also work in the CRM system with the builder and their online sales team, we can see things like what is the what is the rate that leads brought in that are then handled by outside agents who represent you know in air quotes only the builder mm-hmm. end up buying uh, an existing home with someone else in that office or you know it's it's always higher than people are admitting to themselves when we first ask the question. So um, it's not good. Now, the, the, here's the tricky part is if that's been in place for years, maybe even a decade or longer, mm-hmm. and that's kind of just been a accepted practice, how do you undo that without, because it's not, 
I mean, it is personal in that it's affecting everyone. Uh, but it's not like I hate this agent, this human being. Mm-hmm. The practice has been a, 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 like allowed to happen. And maybe this is the fifth person to do it. And now you're going to smack them and be like, hey, stop that. You can't do it. I'm going to sue you or yeah. send an attorney letter. Like you don't, th- there's zero desire going to be clear in this example of the builders, like not trying to not get agents involved. They're happy mm-hmm. to pay agents uh, for their involvement. They're just saying like from a, from a brand safety perspective, this is not good. Yeah. Any one of those sites could get hacked and cannabis or pornography or whatever could be put on it. And that builder's reputation and and likeness is now tarnished. Pricing is, I mean, I promise you they're yeah. not keeping that website updated like every mm-hmm. hour, every day, every week even, probably once a quarter or just like when someone says, hey, the pricing's wrong. Uh, you know, product changes that might happen, availability changes that might happen. It's mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you have to, rem- I think you have to remove any of the goodwill that you're like, oh, well, they're getting our name and our message out there to know they're, they're leveraging our assets to get leads that then they can ultimately choose to do whatever they want with. Like there yep. is nothing connecting them to that project. Or yep. the builder. I think it's that reminder of like, they're doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for you. Like, and it's, it's a harder at that scale. It's harder to approach, especially something that's been accepted practice for so long. Mm-hmm. We had instances where, um, when I was at my old builder where realtors would want to do open houses or they'd want to do video tours of the model home and they would leverage the brand and the product to as if it was their own listing as if it was them bringing it to their clients and i had to start having conversations with those realtors and just be like no we have rules in place now these are the guidelines you have to follow and this is the practice like these are these are our rules you have to follow them or you can't do this and interesting so like did you did you say um hey you can go ahead and do a video tour but you need to be clear that you're touring a, a builder that you can help them work with but that's not your yes. community your neighborhood your home or we had very strict rules in terms of saying this listed is provided by x and it is not my listing i can help you like as a as a buyer representative while working with this builder and and it, our name had to be present throughout the whole thing and things like that. We had to be tagged so we could share it. And we, we just had a very fine line. Which again, of I think that's, yeah, you're encouraging, that's but great. also like, here's the outline of working with us. Yeah. Well, even yeah. you saying like, we want to be tagged so that we can share it. You're offering to amplify the message. So I think that's the, again, I interact with a lot of agents and brokers on Twitter mm-hmm. and there's this, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my manifesto, uh, to really speak to this, but there's this thing of like, we want builders to build product because we need homes to sell for, for our customers. Mm-hmm. And also everyone hates builders more or less. Or when I say hate, I mean, yeah. and I understand it and we may not get to more than two articles today. Sorry, folks, <laughs> but okay. standard. Um, <laughs> I feel I told the group today, like, I feel it's been a while since I've been on a podcast. So I have a lot of different things that are been on my mind. And one is this like, well, XYZ builder, all the builders in my area just build crappy homes in areas no one wants to live in. Mm-hmm. Like that is the, like, you don't want to go with that builder because crap. And I'm like, you know, that all, as I came up with this one, uh, I said, you know, all existing homes were once a new home, right? Mm-hmm. Like how did that home and that was built in 1960, 1970, 1980 or 1990 
Talk to me about what you think the construction quality and methods and workmanship was of those homes. And they're like, well, no, because they used to use, you know, aged timber from reclaim, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know if you grew up in the 80s that I grew up in, (laughs) but there is a whole lot of shady stuff manufactured and built in all industries in the 80s. Like, name one toy you would give your kid now from like early 80s and not be afraid they were going to kill themselves, choke on something or stab something or like be poisoned. Yeah. So all those homes in 1980, like that now you're selling as an, as a, as a used home and you're saying, well, now you know what this is and it's, it's built better than they, I'm like, have you seen building codes? Like, I mean, I I don't know. I just, I, I'm having a hard time. I I need, I need Sean Carpenter or someone else to come on and help us. Cause I, I think obviously part of it is that realtors, uh, I don't know how often, but it definitely happens where they're not compensated properly for the role that they play. Mm-hmm. We could go into reasons why or why not. It doesn't really matter. So I, I understand that. Like if you did work and weren't compensated what you felt like was fairly, I would be, I would have a little bit of an ax to grind. But mm-hmm. this idea of if it's not the quality level of a custom builder, it's not worth my customer looking at, or I would, I, I think it's partly because the realtor wants to be able to solve all the problems for their client. Mm-hmm. And in new construction, Beth, as you're going through right now, mm-hmm. It wouldn't matter if you had an agent, like the agent isn't going to fix that trim, but yeah. you still might complain to the agent. And if I'm an agent, I would be like, oh yeah, I feel like, like I'm supposed to take care of all of best problems. And I can't when this other, whereas in the, in a used home setting, you're just like, well, we're right in the contract, like mm-hmm. must give a credit to replace the trim. Like it, uh, the problems are all more immediately solvable. And I think, I wonder if some of that runs into why realtors um, and builders kind of hit head so much. I've experienced a lot of realtors resistant to the process because of the time that they have to devote to the process. Like my poor realtor is listening to me all the time and I'm asking her questions all the time. So like the involvement and and how much you have to put in, it's not as quick as a turnover as it is in the resale world, that's for sure. Um, unless it, of course it's a move-in ready home. But then you also have the fear of the unknown. Every builder's process is different. It's not standardized like like it is in the resale world. It's not, they're not the, they don't feel like the masters of their craft when it comes to new construction. And so there's this fear of, of not looking like the expert and not being the expert to their client that they're used to being, that they're resistant to the process. I can't tell you how many realtor friends have reached out and, and wanted to learn more about new construction for me and the processes involved and what the contracts look like and the different clauses mm-hmm. and all this stuff because they're just, it's uneasy and it's so different from builder to builder to builder. Yep. Okay, so I just sent Sean a text message and I said, it's time for you to come back on and we'll dive through <laughs> what he thinks is causing some of this. Um, because realtors are arguably um, more interested in new construction than ever before due to the lack of listings. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of builders, depending on the price range and location, are r- really need uh, that partnership in order to to be successful. So it'll be an interesting conversation. All right, um, on to the news. And uh, first up from TechCrunch, uh, there is a thread app update, everyone. So mm-hmm. Instagram threads update brings iOS 17 support, among other small improvements. Uh, here's 
the most exciting thing from this article that I took away is um, they said, without a doubt, a follower feed is in the works. So only seeing um, posts from people that you follow, plus mm -hmm. ads eventually, of course, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. is, is in the works. And otherwise, uh, don't expect a desktop version of threads, which that might be weird if you're not used to Twitter. Um, but the, the, the Twitter desktop functionality is extremely complimentary and useful uh, in a way that I can't really describe unless you're a Twitter user. And then you probably understand that you, you probably do use desktop and mobile more interchangeably than a lot of social networks. Like who goes on Facebook desktop anymore, really? Um, but uh, that's coming down the line. But the, I think the biggest thing is they desperately need that follower mm -hmm. uh, feed to, to come out. And Just like builders, it's all about retention right now, man. They're trying to retain, retain those users. Yep. Um, uh, well, I guess, and also from CBS News and our next article, um, Zuckerberg claims tens of millions of threads signups within days of launch. I think they're uh, narrowing in on, on that million. 100 million mark. If not, are they past it now? We are past it, yeah. Okay. Um, which is the mark that people generally are like, well, it'll kill Twitter when, and I, again, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but, um, uh, lots of people are on there. And I think once the noise goes away and that's the other, like, again, I try to find the same people that I follow on Twitter on, on threads. And a lot of them just aren't there yet because I don't know how they'll accomplish this, especially with our other news article from Mashable of Twitter now blocking visitors from viewing tweets and profiles unless they're logged in. But like the platforms are similar enough that people don't want to have to create the same post twice. And so it'll be interesting. Like they're, they're both want people to choose, but people don't necessarily all want to choose because you want to be able to follow all the people you want to follow anyway. What, mm -hmm. what do you, what do you think about either the, the speed of growth at threads or the fact that Twitter is acting like the child who, you know, is taking their ball and going home. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, Meta has done this before when they reinvented TikTok with Reels. But then what ended up with Reels is that people were just republishing what they were putting on TikTok onto Reels, which I appreciate as a person who's anti-TikTok. I could at least see some of the same content that people are talking about on Reels. Um, but then you also have that happening on YouTube Shorts, where people are just repurposing the same content that's first on TikTok and putting it on YouTube shorts. And I think their biggest hurdle is, is going to be getting that first line content right on thread. So it catches on instead of the repurposing of what they're already using on Twitter, then going to threads because they're, they haven't, I think like we kind of talked about earlier, they haven't really established what the, the difference is with the voices. They're just hoping for more positivity and they haven't I'll, figured out the personality. I'll even admit, and and they'll know who I'm talking about, but I won't say their name, but it was funny because they're like, you know, and here's my top 10 tweets on threads. And it was like, this is threads. Like, let's, yeah. what, what are we, what are we differentiating? And I think, yeah, I mean, like you've also yeah. said with the updates to the app, they're also like, oops, we should add these features because we know these features are valuable. But I will say it is like, 
oh my gosh, the silliness that's happening between Zuck and Elon of like, let's fight, let's not fight. And then that article you're going to reference, but we can probably ignore it. Actually, the Twitter now blocks visitors from viewing tweets unless they're logged in was from June 30th. And then on July 5th, it was like, well, Twitter silently removed that requirement from viewing tweets. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) But then that was on the 5th. And then on July 6th is when threads was going on. So I feel like Almost they identified the volume. Well, and they and then they they limited the amount of like there's mm-hmm. the whole like you can only view so many uh, posts a day on Twitter, uh, and I think that was probably in in fear that Threads was somehow scraping or another service is scraping data off to try to help Threads launch. But um, yeah. yeah, they're they're not. I mean, again, I think it's good competition. That's the thing that most excites me is the competition. Yeah, is usually better for consumers. Mm-hmm. And I do kind of, I mean, I know who you're talking about too with the 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the thing. So many people never, like Twitter is like coffee or wine. Like I don't, I, I, I still, I don't believe you if you're one of these people who you say the first time you took a sip of wine or alcohol or a sip of coffee, you were like, where has this been mm, all my life? Delicious. It's an acquired taste. You, you know, you got to go through that thing of forcing yourself to be exposed to it enough times where you develop that that taste for it twitter is the same way it is because like you have to be able to dedicate the time to find those interesting people and topics and get involved Mm -hmm. and there's a huge barrier to entry that most a lot of people just didn't get into so i took that as like hey this is the easy you're here now version of twitter and so let me try to help you understand some of the cool um things that I love about this place that you like, um, I don't know if you have anyone in your family who's just like, yeah, we got to get you out to so-and-so. And you're like, I, I mean, I, I like you cousin Ernie, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not coming to, I mean, I'd go anywhere cause I love to travel, but I'm glad you like living in Tibet. I'm not going to travel all that way to come see it, you know, mm-hmm. like, but they're always just talking as Twitter. People are kind of like, like, you got to try Twitter. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm not. I will say it was a really interesting um, watching the program grow so quickly because it's not like I saw commercials or this or that. It was just all of a sudden in Instagram stories. There's just this. Oh, they pre-sailed without fail the crap. They did. They got the celebrities. (laughs) Like today we were talking about how we're like, you know, you can balance the popularity. No, the geniusness of it's, it's, um, it's that secret. It's the cool kid. It's the FOMO, you know, having mm-hmm. to type in threads to see the ticket emoji to click the button to get like here's your rotating ticket that tells you when you can get in the park mm-hmm. like all the massive amounts of again psychology was put into how to do that because again you're talking about like they could have done it with any platform they chose instagram because instagram is is their best most viable platform again for rich western folks and so who advertisers want to reach. And so they use Instagram, they leverage that, like, I, I just thought that was brilliant. The whole, the whole rollout of it was brilliant. And then it was, you got on, how did, how come I didn't know about this? No one told me. Then the news cycle hits, then everyone, like it, mm-hmm. it masterful, masterful. Um, let's go from, you know, the world of memes and, um, and egos of Instagram to, what I, what I think is just like classically, like when I see this article, I'm smiling right now for those of you who aren't watching. Because mm-hmm. I just feel like this article is a 
is a Kevin Oakley article. I don't even, that's not a, like a, an adjective, but that that's <laughs> in wide use. But here's the title from theverge.com. AI is killing the old web and the new web struggles to be born. It's kind of a heady, like you got to, it's like a Baz Erlman. Is that the guy, the director Baz? Baz Lerman. Like his movies, like you have to be committed and pay attention or you're going to miss and be lost the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought this article was so stimulating in its approach. Um, and so here's just a couple quick examples. The basic idea is that generative AI models are changing the economy of the web, making it cheaper to generate lower quality content. And we're just beginning to see the effects of those changes in recent months. The signs and potency have been accumulating with more speed. This is having an impact. And then here's uh, just a little bit more from the article. Google's trying to kill the 10 blue links. Twitter is being abandoned to bots and blue tickets. Uh, blue ticks, there's the junkification of Amazon. Just like, just try to throw as much crap on every term in the hopes that you get someone to buy your stuff. I love this one. The shitification of TikTok. Mm-hmm. Uh, layoffs are gutting online media. National Geographic just fired their last writer. So everything there is, I don't know what kind of content, but it, it's uh, people taking pictures and then who knows what else. Um, job posting, looking for an AI editor expects output of 200 to 250 articles a week. Chat GPT is using to generate whole spam sites. Etsy is flooded with AI generated junk. Like everyone is selling PDFs and, and vector files of text. Like uh, the whole Etsy thing. That's a whole other conversation. Chatbots cite one another in misinformation. LinkedIn is using AI to stimulate tired users. Snapchat and Instagram hope bots will talk to you when your friends won't to keep you engaged on the platform. Reddits are staging blackouts. Redditors, uh, Stack Overflow mods are on strike. The Internet Archives is fighting off data scrapers. And AI is tearing Wikipedia apart. Deep breath. Yeah. But it's just, it's it's this kind of like existential, we didn't, we don't know what to do with this stuff yet. Like the, mm-hmm. the usually marketers ruin everything mm-hmm. after it's cool for a while. And it's mm-hmm. just like this, this particular tool of generative AI can push out the crap so fast that marketers have ruined everything when we were just getting started in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause we said right before we hopped on live on the podcast of like the internet was already an, an untrustworthy place people were already doubting what they were reading. And now that's just magnified where now you have to look at everything and be like, is this real? Is this, is this real? I don't know. Yeah. It's becoming, a, I, I definitely think it's becoming exhausting and you have to just, and that I think was about the enshidification of TikTok too <laughs> article, which they can link to. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it, it was funny. I had a builder maybe, th- maybe a month ago now, they were telling me, they're like, ah, oh, just nothing feels like it's new. Like, is there any, what's different? What's happening? And now I'm just like, you jinxed yourself. Cause in the last month, I just feel like everything has kind of gone a little like more haywire. And it's even like chat GPT, yeah. people are complaining because they feel like it's, you're, it's like overanalyzing things that then are AI generated and it's becoming dumber and um, it, it's becoming harder to, to sort through use. And it's almost like we reached the peak too fast and now it, it was way too sudden. And so now we do have to go back and scrape and, and analyze how things are there. And so that comes back to always um, the, the disappointment of the lack of human element. 
that I think that people, they still want, still need. And you can kind of, your BS detector kind of goes off to when you're reading those articles or just, it feels like there's no human to it. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um, all right. We got, we'll, we'll do one more right. article and then favorites. Uh, the last one is that uh, from fox4news.com, Dallas City Council bans short-term rentals from single family mm -hmm. areas. After a day of debate, the Dallas City Council voted late Wednesday night to add restrictions for short-term rentals like Airbnb and VRBO. Council voted on the issue a little before midnight after more than four hours of testimony from dozens of people on both sides. So you can still do short-term rentals in multifamily areas, which I think is, I mean, there's lots of, it, what do we thought? I mean, I'm. Ask me I, where I'm moving this weekend, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, where are you moving? <laughs> I leave on Saturday to move into my Airbnb in a residential neighborhood. Yeah. And it's a ne it's it's necessary for our family. I think like, you know, there's obviously pros and cons to Airbnbs, right? And they can bring in the good, they can bring in the bad. But like, builders especially have to be aware of this because your customers are oftentimes relying on them. I mean, I know the military relies on them. My friend who moved to Hawaii, they couldn't get a house because the market there is so insane and so expensive. They lived in an Airbnb for three months. Our house isn't going to be ready until September and my husband's already there. So we have to live out of an Airbnb for two and a half months. You know, it's just like, we need this temporary and the Airbnbs in that area, actually most of them are for travel nurses mm. and the travel nurses rely on quality Airbnbs and nice areas for them to stay that are safe and um, allow them a quiet respite away from the chaos of the hospital. So I don't know. It's, I understand I, as a homeowner of not well, one. That, that would be the question is why can't they stay in like an extended suite hotel chain? Yeah. I mean, Which, I think I'm not, I'm not telling you, you should, yeah. I'm not making an argument either way. It's just, we didn't have them for so long. How did people survive without it? Is, is this mm -hmm. uh, like a, catastrophication of a problem that's like I think it was comfortable so for me I every Thanksgiving I rent an Airbnb for like 16 people that is not fun to be the booker of and that's also because you just want to have that that home feel like that that feeling of togetherness sometimes um and when you pool that money together it it financially makes sense for for a single family home so I don't know I I think I agree with um, you bath hits like, uh, there's, there should be some, like, I think el elements of review, yeah. but I can also understand the homeowners. Like I, one of my neighbors is a rental and let me tell you, it is the worst house on the block and it yeah. is like disappointing. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that like to Kevin, what you were, what you were asking about, like Airbnb became a thing for a reason. Yeah. Right. Um, I think from my perspective, having, interacted with many people that had to stay in extended stay hotels or furnished suite hotels or like furnished apartment buildings. It was not the ideal place for them to have their children for an extended period of time. It was really difficult. It added more stress. Yeah. It made what's already considered one of the most stressful things of our lives, a move that we have to do almost every year, even more stressful. And so having- The thing I hate the most about what they did 
is by saying, well, in multifamily and commercial, it's totally fine. Yeah. And it's just this sense of like another dividing line, another like, well, those folks already have to deal with riffraff and whatever else. So like let them eat cake, go ahead Mm -hmm. and like continue doing short-term rentals there. And that, that's the part of the whole thing that drives me nuts. Um, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. At the end of the day, the other argument I saw someone make was like, you don't need to give builders any reason to build less homes. So you could argue that this is bad, but what would be worse is that the home, the incremental homes that are built for these investor folks who want them Mm -hmm. to not have them at all would only exacerbate the issue. And Mm -hmm. so don't give, builders any less reason to just build more homes because we have this dramatic need for more shelter. Oh, that was interesting. Although maybe somewhat flawed argument, but I, I, I think I, I see what their intent there is. All right, moving on to favorites. I'm going to lead this one. Um, first off is biking, road biking or, or biking on a trail, I think is just perhaps still, even with the Tour de France going on, like the most underrated sport that you could do or physical activity, just because you can, you can cover so much ground so quickly. Even like my eight year old can go uh, like almost 20 miles an hour on his bike with me and like do his thing. And he's just like, this is an adventure and you're going over. It's just, it's, you get good exercise. You can rest on the bike. You can make progress even when you're resting and you get to see a lot of a lot of stuff and um so so biking is a favorite bluey is definitely a favorite which brand new episodes on bluey uh on disney plus if you haven't been using the vpn to watch them in australia where they've been out for a while you can now see them on on disney plus uh as well anybody anyone with kids knows what i'm talking about there and then the last one that's actually helpful is um a podcast episode on conversations with tyler uh, Reed Hoffman, um, one of the co-founders, I believe, of LinkedIn and a big uh, investor, talks for about an hour and a half about all of the things that you probably haven't heard anyone else talk about related to where he thinks AI is going and, and what the challenges are. Things like, which this is probably terrifying to many as well, like which government institution is the one that really should be thinking about a- AI? like. Or should there be any government institution that's that's anyway um it's a great fascinating article or a podcast i'd highly recommend if you're so inclined to take a take a peek at that link in the show notes jackie Uh, yeah my favorite i kind of already talked about it but just have this big old whiteboard stares at me in the face and um at a goal of certain certain goals still need to achieve some of them but it's just nice to not forget them. And so that's how I think I was able to speed up my reading goal, um, hit some speech class, uh, goals this year early, and then still behind in some, but I, I know I have time. So it's, it's just nice to have those constant reminders of things you want to accomplish, especially as like, you know, first two months, things fizzle out and then you kind of go back to, okay, six months into the year, what do I need to keep thinking about and doing? So, um, just proud of myself. I was able to accomplish that so quickly, but then also looking at the other ones and going, you need to catch up. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's also fun. What do you have? Beth? Awesome. Um, I don't really have that much going on in my life. <laughs> um, 
Mm-hmm. But I really don't like my <laughs> my day to day is is fairly it's chaotic, but like pretty standard. And so like, honestly, I'm just excited about the future. Like it's really it's been really nice being in Maryland, being around family and old friends. And um, I'm super appreciative of the time that we've had here and the amount of crab cakes that my dad has prepared for us. Um, and, you know, all of the friends and family that have, have made the effort and matched the effort to come see us. But I'm I'm more excited about the fact that we're about to get to Georgia. We're going to start this next chapter. We have a lot to look forward to. We can settle into a routine again. Um, there's a lot of exciting things happening on the work side that really, um, you know, just have me super excited for what's happening. So I don't know. Yeah. I keep saying the same thing over again, but I'm just really incredibly grateful, feeling blessed and excited for what's happening. Yeah. What's the name of the book? Um, things smart people should know. I'm Googling it real fast. Um, 30 things really part smart. No, that's not it. Uh, anyway, there's a book that it's a great, it's a great book with charts and graphs and just the whole thing is optimism. And like, if you are a, if you're a pessimist in today's reality, um, there's like you're looking in all the wrong places because there's still a ton of opportunity to be optimistic. Watching too much news, probably. Maybe. Yeah, seriously. Maybe. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this is the book club episode where it's like, sorry, Olivia, and the blog. I'm also speaking of news. Blog. Really excited to not hear Baltimore news every single night because Baltimore news is like there was a shooting in West Baltimore. There was a shooting in blah blah blah, and I'm like, okay, this is depressing. Yeah. That's hilarious. All right. Just to round things out as we end uh, this week's program, uh, reminder that there's fantastic Google Analytics 4 resources mm-hmm. available in all access. That's a completely free um, tool and platform that we've put together. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Probably should have counted before the show started. 14 uh, videos uh, around using GA4, how to get around, how to pull data out, how to analyze it and more to come. And then uh, the other thing uh, that's in all access, there's something else I was going to say about that. What was I going to say? You, you, you got it in my brain, Beth, and now I can't. Oh, and there you go. And the other great thing about all access is the opportunity to interact with everyone else there. And so um, I asked a question last week for the marketers. Would you consider yourself to be an introvert, an extrovert, or an introvert who can fake energy at sales <laughs> meetings? Uh, and so obviously we have to put all the introvert categories together, but so far it is 78% introverts and 21% extroverts, which um, I don't know. It, it doesn't surprise me. If anything, it surprises me that we got 21% uh, extroverts at the moment, but, uh, yeah, so be sure to check out all access, uh, continues to be more great stuff in there and we'll keep adding to it every week. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of market proof marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers, become a member of our private community, DYC all access which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. 
All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peek, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof. <laughs>